Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. church. How are we doing? Good. I'm a little under the weather as many of you. I got this cold, this cough that uh, seems to linger that it's going around. And so I've uh, got some uh, tea up here that Adrian has, uh, I don't know, put some witchcraft stuff in for me. Some essential oils and dirt. I don't know what it is, but it's working, whatever it is. So thank you. Um, I'll do the best I can. I might have to hit the mute button and cough for a moment, but uh, I'm excited to go through the book uh, of Ruth. Man, it's one of my absolute, like, just most favorite books in the whole Bible. It's, uh, it's actually, the book of Ruth has been coined, uh, historically, uh, one of the most beautifully written short stories in the history of literature, period. And so, like, that's by Christians and non-Christians uh, alike. And so, hopefully, we'll be able to do, a, do it a little bit of justice uh, today. And so, I'm going to just kick us off with a big idea. Uh, the big idea is uh, joy comes through Suffering, joy comes through uh, suffering, and my hope is just kind of just walk you through kind of this crucible of suffering that Ruth and her family walks through, then at the end we'll talk about our Redeemer being our joy. And so the four ways that I want to show you this, I kind of lay out the story for you, uh, is in this way. It's an unlikely journey, uh, an unlikely introduction, an unlikely environment, and and unlikely redemption, if you could leave it up for just a second, Miss Linda, um, those online and those in the room. And so the hope, again, is just to kind of unpack this short story, uh, try not to hack all over you, and uh, in so doing, may we bring much glory to God this morning. Amen? All right, let's go. I'm going to need you to help me out a little bit. All right, let's start with an unlikely journey. Are you ready? All right, if you're ready, say ready. All right, uh, an unlikely uh, journey. And so uh, chapter one is about... Uh, Naomi, that's the mother-in-law, and Ruth, one of her daughter-in-laws, it's about their relationship really being kindled. And so uh, chapter one, Naomi, the mother-in-law, has lost everything now and everyone close to her. Not just everything, but everyone close to her. She's lost her husband, uh, she's lost her sons, and she is in a moment now, she's going to release her daughters-in-law from um, I would say from her care, but really they would be the ones that would be caring for her. And so this is huge, because not only has she lost a spouse and lost her sons, she's lost her livelihood. Uh, in this culture especially, the men were the 401k, and they were the retirement plan. They were the way by which women had security in the future and security for right now. So to be a woman without a man was to lose all of your social security, to lose all of your cultural security. And so she's literally not only having to uh, grieve the experience of loss and the magnitude that would come from that sort of a death, but then she also looks at her daughters-in-law, who in an Eastern culture would have been uh, called to be her servants. So to, could, at least she could like lean on them, you know, and she doesn't even get to lean on them now because she's going to release them. And Orpah turns back, but Ruth remains. And Naomi, the mother-in-law, looks at those two daughters-in-law and she says, return each of you to your mother's 
house. And in so doing, what she's saying is, I'm willing to experience death now so that you might experience life later on, perhaps through marriage, through kids, and so on and so forth. And so if you can kind of hear the gospel even in that, Naomi, who has lost everything, choosing to step further into death so that her family can experience life. There's a commentator that says on this aspect of the story, he said, uh, by deep, it's not on the screen, I'm just gonna read it. By deepening her own death, she offers them a reason to live. Naomi has taken the most precious thing in her life, the little family she has left, and is destroying it for the sake of love. She willingly steps into greater death to protect her daughters. Orpah turns back. I misspoke earlier and said you can think of the word Oprah because she also turned away from the faith, but I didn't mean to say it, but then I feel like I had to say it a second time. So (laughs) Orpah turns back, so if you can't remember that, Oprah did as well. But Ruth remains, Ruth remains. Now, check this out. Ruth chapter one, verse 14 says this. So then they lifted up their voices. Hold on, throw it up there for me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Talking about all these women. They're just clung about one another. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15. And she said, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, telling Ruth, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, listen to how beautiful this is. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. It's kind of just this beautiful moment here. These women are having this moment. You have this older mother-in-law pleading with her daughters. Hey, I have nothing for you. I don't have any sons to give you. They've died. I can't acquire more sons in my old age. I don't have an inheritance. I have nothing to help you to survive. Pleading with them to go back so they might get married and have husbands, maybe have children, have some form of security. And in that, Ruth is like, absolutely not. Like, where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. Your God will be my God. May worse, may get even worse for me than what we're already experiencing right now should I depart from you on my own. That's a love right there, isn't it, church family? And so in that, you get to see now this relationship is building out kind of who Ruth is in that moment, her character, her faithfulness, what she believes to be true about this coming Messiah that she's now professed faith in. And so then we move into chapter 2. And it's an unlikely introduction. An unlikely introduction is being made. So chapter one, it is about Ruth and Naomi's relationship. But then chapter two, when we get that, this is about Boaz's and Ruth's relationship. Boaz is going to pursue Ruth in this unlikely introduction. So we have this new character that enters into the story. Chapter two goes like this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was? Boaz, we'll call him Bo for short. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. Now the story's starting to pick up for us just a little bit. And so chapter two, introducing old Bo to Ruth here in this moment. New character enters in, Boaz is his name. Boaz means a, a worthy warrior or a worthy man. Boaz is a provider. Boaz is a protector. He has everything that you would want in a man. He has money. He's got good looks. He's charming. He has a job. He's generous. He even prays for his girl here in a little bit. 
everything you'd put on Christian Mingle if you're looking, boy, he has it all figured out. Ruth looks at the situation. He's, she, she, she says, hey, we need some food. Like, we don't have any food here. And so she's like, what are we going to do? She's going to go glean. Now, this isn't meant to be funny, but it's the reality. In their situation, gleaning, that was to go gather kind of the crops that were left on the outskirts of the field or that had fallen out of the bag. That would have been the equivalent of like food stamps for us. And even more culturally equivalent of that of dumpster diving. That's kind of what people would have thought about when they looked at Ruth out there gleaning. They would have thought that she was the lowest of the low in society. But like many who are out there, she's just trying to survive. And so she's out there gleaning, right? Clearly aware that it's barley season. She knows that this is a way that she can produce some food for her family, Family, so she gets the work. And now the narrator is gonna kind of start playing with us a little bit uh, in the Hebrew. Let me show you what I mean by that. Verse three continues like this. Uh, so she, that's Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. It just so happened, what, or she, hold on, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. That's a little bit of Hebrew irony there is what he's using. Uh, who was in the clan of Elimelech, verse four. And behold, there it is again, right? A few weeks ago, we talked about that word, behold. It just so happened. And behold, Boaz, oh, Bo, came from Bethlehem. Huh, who would have put that together? And he said to the reapers, now this is a, a greeting you might be familiar with, the Lord be with you. And also, right, six of you been in the church. Okay, good. The Lord. That's what we want. We want unchurched people. That's great. The Lord be with you and also with you, they respond. Verse five, then Boaz said to his young man, his foreman out there, uh, who was in charge of the reapers? He says, who is that? Is what he says. Who's this young woman? Whose young woman is this? The Israelites now, they, they didn't believe in chance, right? Just like we don't believe in chance as Christians. We believe in a sovereign God who's in control. And so when you read through here, the the author here in the Hebrew, he's just kind of playing with us a little bit in the original language. And so he's saying, and behold, Bethlehem's famine just happened to be lifted. The word Bethlehem actually means city of bread, in case you didn't know that. And behold, Ruth just happened to stumble upon this field that just happened to belong to Boaz. And behold, Boaz just happened to be from her father-in-law's clan. And behold, Boaz just happened to lock eyes with this sweaty, holy hottie out there in the field. And he looks at her. He's like, dang, who's that? Oh, that sweat, right? If we were in a, if we were watching this in a movie right now, this holiday film, picture it in your head this holiday season. This is the aspect of the movie where, you know, old man Bo is just kind of stepping off his wagon, doing a slow turn, and his long Fabio Hebrew hair is blowing in the Wind and Ruth is there blowing and she's got grain coming out of her hair and pit stains and Whitney Houston's being cute, you know, and this is, a, this is the first look is what's happening here in the text. And then Boaz asked this really interesting question. He says, who does she belong to? Now, in our culture, we don't say that. We say, what do you do for a living? Or what do you do? Or where'd you go to school at? We don't go, hey, who do you belong to? Right? They'd be like... <laughs> I'd be really uncomfortable. You should try it, actually. Just try it. At the next holiday work party, who do you belong to? My pastor said to do it. Shut them right down. Uh, Boaz, right, he doesn't ask, what does she do? Boaz wants to know, whose is she? What family does she belong to? What he's really asking in that question is, why is this woman out in my field in, in some of the most dangerous and tumultuous times to be literally in a field for the whole entire history of Israel? Why is this woman alone? Who is she with Who would let her out of the house? They didn't know what they had. And so Boaz knows his employee, employees, but he does not know this 
woman. So he asks his foreman if we were to continue reading now in chapter 2. And the foreman responds, oh, that's Ruth. She has great character. She's a solid worker. She's been out there all day earning her keep. She's just trying to survive. And so I want you to picture in your mind because whenever Bo steps off the wagon, he is like a well-off, very profitable, prestigious, single businessman in his community. And he literally catches eyes with the equivalent of a homeless woman. That's actually what's happening in the place. She's filthy, she's dirty, she's worn out, agrarian culture, she's literally been in the field, she literally has pet stains, she would have been stinking to have, like for the ladies' room, right? This wasn't like a dry shampoo situation for her to be able to go out, right? She needed a shower. You guys, you ladies with me? I listened to my wife, right? There was no D.O. for the B.O. That's a play on words there. And so Oboe is smitten by this woman and he just starts dishing out commands uh, to his people to her to everybody that is around again if we were to continue reading and so he says hey you have no protection for family yeah I'm going to be your protection you have no way to provide I'm going to be the one that provides for you You don't know how to glean properly you want to make the most amount of money while you're out here you want to get the most food while you're here follow my girls around they're going to show you how to make the most profit and so then he tells her in verse 9 let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them he's kind of just continuing to invite them in to uh, invite her in further and further into uh, the family and not only that it's, it's on the screen and then when you're thirsty go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn young men did not draw water in this culture that wasn't a thing but the workers would draw water but never for women and he goes hey girl if you, if you need a little drink Go over there and those guys over there will take care of you. That was like, not a big deal for us, no big deal, but an asinine reality like for them. That would have just never happened. And then he tells the men in there, he calls for protection. And I love it. He goes over to the men. He's like, hey, boys, you see that Moabite woman? And they're like, oh, yeah, we've been looking at her all day. And he's like, I got a big field, boys. No one will ever find your body, you know? <laughs> Don't touch her. And they're like, roger that, boss. We won't touch her, you know? And so upon hearing all this, Ruth, if we were to continue reading, Ruth recognizes, like, listen, if six years ago I put out a whole chart when I preached through Ruth. I did a, I was a chart guy at that point, you know. And uh, Ruth on that chart, there's 16 pieces of places in society that you could have existed. She was in the last, below the dogs of the culture and society. That's how a foreign woman servant is who she was. She was the least of these and literally every way and so she rightfully asks, like why are you doing this why would you do this for me what I've done nothing to deserve this that's a good question why do you think she would why do you think Boaz, Boaz would do that why would Boaz love this pitted out servant woman well well Boaz the text reveals to us is a godly man Boaz, Boaz has his head on straight I think you should listen to some of this ladies and know what to look for Boaz had his head on straight Boaz loves the Lord. He has a job. There's a pastoral moment I want to give you uh, right here. If you want to know what to look for in a man, those are some good qualities to look for in a man. Amen? If you already have a man, those are some good qualities to ask the Lord to pull out of your man. In our house, my daughter's in her first service. She's buried her face into her mom. She's getting older, so I'm learning, like, I got to ask permission to use her as an illustration, uh, and I did not. And so, um, but we have a saying, like, hey, before you can bring a guy in the house, what, what do you got to, what's two questions you have to ask? And it's, do you love Jesus, and do you have a job? In that order, before you can ever come up in it. She's like, what if he does chores? I'm like, that ain't a job, okay? That's discipleship, okay? And so, these are conversations we have. You should have these conversations with your daughters and sons, by the way. 
But the answer to that, does he love Jesus and does he have a job? Boaz comes in and says, yes, absolutely. He's a good, righteous, godly dude that works hard. And listen, that needs to be the answer. Does he love Jesus? Yes, not kinda. Does he, does he have a job? Yeah, not I think so. Right? It needs to be a very, very, this is an area of your life where it needs to be very black and white, unless you're perhaps in a season that's going, but what I mean, hear me, don't even say something I'm not, but listen, does he love Jesus? Yes. Does he not? Does he have a job? Yes. If you can't answer yes confidently to whatever dude you're pursuing, then let that dude go freeload somewhere else. There's your pastoral moment for you. Let him go be mediocre to some other woman and pull her down, all right? Here's what the text says. Boaz is an older man, a wealthy man. He's also a single man. He could have had anyone that he wanted in his society based off the way that they sought for survival in this society. So what would be so attractive about a pitted out outcast? Well, the text says Ruth's faithfulness is what was so attractive. And Ruth's character is what was so attractive. And Ruth's work ethic is what's so attractive. Men, if you want to know what to look for in a woman, if you want to know what to pull out of your bride, should you have one, these are good qualities, amen? Faithfulness, character, work ethic. And listen here, in the midst of great suffering, she sought her joy in the Lord. And what is produced in that is faithfulness and character and work ethic. Those are things worth aspiring to, ladies. Those are things worth looking for in a woman men, right? Not just, is she attractive? Like, maybe you don't act very attractive yourself as a man, right? Watch out who you're comparing to. Well, you're comparing what to what? In the midst of great suffering, Ruth pursues the Lord. That's chapter one. That's incredibly faithful, right? Her mother-in-law dismisses her for better survival, and by great, it within great faithfulness, clings to her mom, not even her biological mom, where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. I will follow you. Your God will now become my God. That's great faithfulness coming from a pagan society. In chapter two, is where, which is where we're in right now, she's moving forward with great work ethic and great faithfulness. She's not allowed her suffering to keep her in a perpetual state of being a victim. But rather, she's looked upon the Lord and said, no, I'm victorious in this Lord. This new God is my God. Oh, he's gonna provide for me. But it's not gonna just happen by chance. It's not gonna just gonna behold and all of a sudden food appeared. She has to actually get up and go do something in the midst of her suffering. Ruth is not a victim. She's not allowing her suffering to consume her. What we see is that she's moving forward in the midst of great suffering. We're beginning to see joy coming. And so then Boaz, as he's approaching Ruth, he does something that more men need to do, whether you're in a relationship or interested in a relationship. He prays over his woman. He prays a blessing over, if we're to continue reading in chapter three, and Boaz prays this blessing over Ruth. And then, instead of saying, hey, I hope you find food, and I hope you find shelter, and I hope you find a husband, he goes, oh, dang, I can provide all that. Like, I'll be the answer to my own prayer, right? Boaz literally looks, at the, looks in the mirror, and he goes, huh. I mean, men are a little slow sometimes, amen, ladies? He's like, huh. I can do all that. The Lord has gifted me resources to be able to do that. But how often do we pray, hey, wish you well and good luck. And then all the while, all of our resources sit over here in the corner just collecting dust that the Lord has given us. Right? Be the answer to your own prayer, church family. Right? Boaz prays and then he says, wait a second. I know the answer. I am the answer. Do you understand this morning, especially when it comes into the holiday season, when materialism is at an all-time rampant high, do you understand that your resources are not just for you? 
right? Your resources are so you can be an answer to either your or to someone else's prayers, especially this time of year, yeah? This is why we do a year-end offering, because the culture of uh, materialism, the idolatry of materialism is so high, it's instrumental to you as a people that we put you in a position to have to sacrifice, to run from that altar and run to the altar of not materialism, but of a Messiah. And so this is what is happening here in the text. I would say be the answer to your own prayer. Boaz is the answer to his own prayer. What happens next? Chapter 2 then. We're in chapter 2, but it's about Boaz pursuing Ruth. Chapter 3 gets a little scandalous now. Chapter 3, Ruth is going to pursue Boaz in an unlikely environment. And it is a little risque, if I may. So the narrator really brings this out for us. If you know anything about the threshing floor, you don't want to find yourself there on a Friday night. An unlikely environment. Chapter 3. Here we go. And then Naomi, her, her mother-in-law, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? She's saying, hey girl, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. That's exactly what you want to hear from your mother-in-law. Isn't it? Uh, that it may be well with you. Is not Boaz our relative? with whose young women you were, that's in the field with. See, he is winnowing barley, separating barley, wheat from chaff, all that. He sees winnowing barley, barley tonight at the threshing floor. So Naomi is the mother-in-law who's lost everything, lost her husband, lost her two sons, tried to dismiss her daughters. Naomi says, Ruth, right, you need a man if you're gonna survive this patriarchal society that we've been born into here. And she says, I'm your mother-in-law and I'm here to help. That reminded me immediately of a meme that said like the nine most terrifying words you can hear are, I'm with the government and I'm here to help. Have you ever seen that meme? So as I was writing this, I thought perhaps the most terrifying 15 words you could hear is, I am your late husband's mother and I'm here to help you find a man. I don't know. <laughs> so Naomi looks at Ruth and says, what about Bo? And then Ruth's all like, I don't know, mom, I'm kind of in the friend zone and I don't, I don't know exactly what's happening there. And Naomi's like, no, nah, honey. She's been watching these soap operas, you know. She's like, no, nah, honey, you gotta figure that out. We gotta get you about that friend zone. It's time to define the relationship. And so then Naomi, my in-law over here, gives Ruth a plan, a very sc scandalous plan. And so I have to say in this moment, like I said last week when I preached uh, at Bree's community about Rahab, the prostitute, this part of the scripture, okay, is what we call descriptive, okay? This is a descriptive moment in scripture. There's th times that are descriptive and then there's times that are prescriptive. Somebody say descriptive. This is a descriptive moment. Descriptive in the text says, this is what has happened. This is not saying, go do this on a Tuesday. It's saying, hey, this is what happened in the text. Prescriptive is, hey, go do this and make sure your life looks like this. This is descriptive. Somebody say descriptive. All right, before we get into it. So this is important. Uh, Naomi's advice, the mother-in-law's advice, is a three-step process, and it is worth uh, considering, except for the last step, of course. Verse three, it goes like this. Verse three, wash therefore, always a good, always a good lead off. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. It's where you, I'm not gonna encourage you to go. But do not make yourself known to the man, listen to all this, until he has finished eating and drinking, which literally means eating and drinking, okay? Verse four, but when he lies down now, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do, which literally means he's gonna tell you what to do. Verse five, and she replied now, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and she did as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz, oh Bo, had eaten and drunk, which again literally means he had ate and drank his fill, uh, and his heart was merry, which is a reiteration of <laughs> he had eaten and drank his fill, uh, he went to lie down at the end of the heap 
of grain. So there's this three-step process. Step one goes like this, take a shower. That's the first thing that she says, right? You've been out in the field, girl, you're all pitted out, you're dirty, working, your hair's still pinned up, right? Uh, this is why you're in the friend zone. You should probably take a shower. Maybe that would help you out, right? Very crunchy in Colorado of you, but it's gonna keep you uh, in the friend zone. You've taken leisure wear a little too far, right? They say Lulu, but they're still yoga pants. Let's change clothes and let's, <laughs> let's go out there. The second thing he says, first thing is take a shower. Good advice. Second thing she says is you need to put on something nice. You know, don't throw yourself out there. Keep it modest, but you gotta try a little bit. Now, I said this in the first service, just to be clear. I fell madly in love with my wife, and all I saw her wear uh, in college was sweatpants and an oversized backpack, okay? At the same time, she just like, like a little turtle walking around <laughs> SIU campus all the time. Sweatpants, not like, not like the sweatpants are cool now. Just, they were not cool. They were oversized. Anyway, we'll get into it. They're like gotchos. Remember gotchos, anybody? Yeah, yeah. They're like if sweatpants could be got. They were very big. At the same time, um, she felt just, I mean, gosh, just head over heels for me, you know. And uh, I straightened my hair, had a lip ring, and wore, skin, wore girl jeans before skinny jeans were a thing. And listened to emo music. And so uh, the Lord is gracious in his provision. And so just keep it modest is what she said. First, step two, put on something nice. Keep it modest, okay? Step three now, get scandalous. You gotta watch step three. This is not from the pastor to you. This is descriptive. Go down to the threshing floor. That's the point. Uh, the threshing floor now is where the party was, man. Threshing floor is where it happened. The threshing floor is where uh, prostitutes would go to take advantage of men who had drunk themselves into a stupor and maybe fallen asleep or in, in their decisions were you know, inhabited a little bit and they had a little bit of money in their pocket. At the same time, I mean, men aren't off the hook there. These men would go there to get drunk and take advantage of women that were coming down there for prostitution. So that's what happened. It was a party. It'd be the end of the week. It's a barley festival. The crops have come in. I mean, you're talking about a very big party that would have happened down there. It would have looked like New Orleans down there. And so Naomi then gives some advice. And it's not just because she wants uh, Ruth to go down there and be, act as a prostitute. We're going to see that in the story. But it's still very scandalous advice. Uh, the threshing floor was a very dangerous place. The fields there were a very dangerous place. This is historically the most dangerous time for the people of Israel. This is, if you know your Bible, this is after the book of Judges. I mean, it's a very dark, very dangerous very tumultuous time in their culture. And so the threshing floor was not a place you wanted your little girl to go. So it's still a very scandalous plan. It's, very, it's also very descriptive. I'm trying to remind you of that. And so Obo has been down. He's been down at the threshing floor. He's had a good time. I like to think he didn't have too good of a time because he is a righteous man according to the text. But he, you know, he got a little turned. And so verse eight, then she, let's keep going. Verse eight says this. Then she, that's Ruth, uh, came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, there it is again, in my own mind. Oh, would you have it? That's kind of what the Hebrew says. A woman lay at his feet, and he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant, which in this moment, she's literally putting herself out there. This is all important to understand. We don't want to downplay the story. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And so just stop right there and kind of picture with me. I mean, don't picture too much. Keep it PG. Um, but Ruth has went down to where the prostitutes go. Ruth goes and uncovers uh, Boaz's feet. Why would she do that? Well, clearly so that 
a gust of wind or something might wake him up. Now, if you're anything like our family, you're sitting in here like, I feel like that would have just made me sleep better, right? Some of y'all sleep one leg out. You got a box fan, ceiling fan, window crack, sound machine. You're like, he should have just said thank you, you know, just roll back over. She's helping my man out over here. Well, Boaz wakes up and behold, the author says, right? Behold, there's a woman at the end of his bed. And she replies, I'm Ruth, your servant. So he wakes up. And he says, who are you, right? He's all like gunk in the eye trying to wake up. Who are you? And then she literally replies. I mean, quite literally, what she's saying is, whatever you want. That's actually what's being said right there. Who are you? Whatever you want me to be, right? And in so doing, kind of putting herself out there. She's not been with any of the other young men, the text says, but she's kind of throwing herself. She's offering herself over completely to him. And in that, there's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a sin, I think, that can be revealed for us, right? In your godliness and in your character, what would you do in that moment? You're standing before your only source of life and hope. You have nothing. You've lost everything, lost your husband, lost your family, lost your town, your tribe, your village. You have nothing. You have literally nothing. Not like a bad week. Zero hope. And the only person in your life is lying there before you, your redeemer. And he says, who are you? Do you say whatever you want in the world? Let me ask it to you in this way. Uh, because all those things are still true of you. Just because we're American and middle class doesn't mean that we're not spiritually dead. So there is a redeemer that stands before you, that's hung before you. And as a professing Christian, I want to ask you this morning, when you come into his presence, is your response whatever you want? Whatever you want with my marriage, whatever you want with this relationship I'm in, maybe it's not even a marriage. Uh, This time of year, as you're thinking about the holidays, whatever you want with my money, whatever you want with my time, whatever you want with my calendar, Whatever you want, whatever you don't want. Whenever you are standing face to face with your Redeemer and He's looking upon you in this moment right now, is your response to Him whatever you want? Because anything less than that is not a response of a Christian. The Christian who has met face to face with a Redeemer that understands I deserve nothing and in Christ I have been given everything, the only right response there is what? Whatever you want. Whatever you want. You can have. The reason the church in America is suffering right now at such great lengths in our culture is because there are very few women and men who stand up and say, whatever you want when face to face with the Redeemer. Naomi did not, the mother in law did not send her down there because she wanted Ruth to have sex with Boaz in a way of a prostitute. Rather, she sends her down there. Naomi sends Ruth down there to the threshing floor to offer herself completely to her Redeemer. Like, this is the call of the text for those of us that are in Christ in the room. That just as Christ has offered himself completely to us for our redemption as our redeemer, so also then we are called to what? To offer ourselves completely to him. Getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I think it's worth putting the gospel in there, yeah? And so Ruth now is simply saying, how about you make good on that prayer? That's what she's doing down there in that moment. Remember that prayer you prayed? Remember whenever you said you were going to be the one that would take care of me? How about we make good on that, babe? I'm down here. Why don't you make good on doing what you said you were going to do? And so for Boaz to, quote, spread his blanket, end quote, over Ruth was the equivalent at that time of putting a wedding band on a woman. And so what's crazy is that, especially for that time, in that moment, Ruth, listen, Ruth is proposing that Boaz propose to her. That's actually what's happening. That's crazy to think about. For their time, but even 3,000 years later, where our culture has a view of marriage, it's literally whatever you want. And still women aren't out there asking men to marry them, are they? 3,000 years later, like, oh, dang, that's too much. That's a little too, 
that's a little too progressive right there for me, you know? It makes you go, oh, wow. And so what she's doing, though, is saying, hey, make good on what you said you were going to do. Spread your, how about you put a ring on my finger, and let's see if you're as serious as you say you are. Might also be a good word for some of you single ladies in a relationship, right? Ruth has in, in going to the threshing floor, Ruth has risked everything. She's risked everything. She's risked her livelihood. She's risked her life. She's risked her reputation. She's risked the way people view her. She's risked her uh, relationship with Boaz. What if he said no? What if he's like, nah, I didn't all that? Risked, literally, risked embarrassment. Risked literally every aspect of everything, and it pays off. Verse 10 says this. And Boaz said, is what it says. Boaz said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone out after young men, uh, whether poor or rich, right? Only had her eyes set on him, verse 11. And now my daughter, that's just a term of endearment. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen. Know that you are a worthy woman, just as Boaz was a worthy man. She is a worthy woman, verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. There's someone in the family that's a little bit closer to you that should take you in. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Verse 13, remain tonight. Listen to how cool, man, oh, Bo is cool as a cucumber. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. I love this, verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, let, not, uh, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, descriptive text, but I love how real the story is, right? He's just, old man, bald man, just cool as a cucumber. Hey, here's another cat in front of me. Uh, if he doesn't, then praise God. But if not, I'm gonna go ahead and handle that situation. Why? Because he knows there is no behold. There is no, it just so happened. There is no chance. There's just a sovereign God that's orchestrating this narrative of their lives. Boaz is cool as they come. And then also Boaz, I think it's funny, cares for Ruth's reputation. He's like, hey girl, I'm glad you came down here, but uh, can't nobody know you came down here, okay? So let me pick you up a little bit of lunch for you and your mother-in-law. You take that back to her. You let her know I'm gonna take care of her as well, but you gotta go, okay? The sun's coming up. You gotta get out, which leads to what? Chapter four, an unlikely redemption. What do you think is gonna happen in chapter four? Oh, he's gonna get the girl, isn't he? He's gonna get the girl. I love this book. Chapter four, an unlikely redemption. Uh, Ruth 4, one, Boaz is gonna redeem, redeem Ruth. I won't read it all, I'll just read, um, I'll probably just read number verse one, actually. Uh, now Boaz had uh, gone up to the gate and sat down there, and Boaz, I'm sorry, and behold, there it is again, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by just so happened. He just happened to walk by at just the right amount of time, right? So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. I love this so much, man. Boaz goes into the city, sees this potential redeemer walking by, and literally in the Hebrew, what he says to him is, hey, my man. Like, hey, my man, can you give me a second over here? In the actual Hebrew original, what he says is this, hey, no name. Why don't you come over here? And so you see, hey, he ain't this like cute, cuddly, fleece blanket on the threshing floor man anymore, right? He's this like master negotiator, this powerhouse business owner walks in. He's just standing at the gate waiting with his homies and he's like, hey, hey bro, I got something to talk to you about. 
there's an opportunity for you to redeem a land, and that land uh, comes with a girl. And he's like, if you were to read it all, this is my version, but if you were to read it all, this is the way it goes, okay? And so he's like, you got some land, and you got a gal that you can get as well. It comes with a woman. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, 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 I'll redeem that. And he's like, cool, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that woman's a Moabite slave, uh, and she will now be pervy to your whole entire inheritance, and you'll have nothing to give your family uh, because her man's dead. And he's like, no, 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 no. And he's like, that's what I thought. And so that's mine. So he takes what's his, right, as this like master negotiator in this moment. And he gets the girl. That's the sum of chapter four for you. The story of it. How do we find joy in the midst of this? Well, the reality of the story here for the book of Ruth is that they needed to be redeemed. And they needed a God that would be able to redeem them, a God who would write a story for them, a God who is narrating everything in the midst of tumultuous suffering. There's an incredible amount of joy can, that can be found. But similar to the book of Ruth is your life and my life, right? Chapter one, you don't see any joy or any redemption in the book of Ruth. But oh, by the time you get to chapter four and we're reading through genealogies and we get to find out that Rahab is Boaz's mom who was also a master negotiator and also knew a little bit about prostitution, also knew a little bit about how to handle men. It's from her redeeming Israel comes Boaz and from Boaz and Ruth will ultimately come King David who is the redeemer for Israel. You don't get all that in chapter one though. You just get a bunch of suffering. And that's true for us too. Like right now, like today might be your chapter one. Or chapter two, you're chapter three, but the scripture is clear, man, that there is a chapter coming where joy resides in the morning. And it's only because there is a redeemer that is authoring and narrating your story. And that morning doesn't mean tomorrow in 24 hours. It might be 10 years or 15 years or 20 years of suffering. We're not here to sell you anything at Heights. Right, that joy in the morning might not come until Jesus Christ, the true redeemer of our faith, salvation of our faith, comes back and splits the skies. That might be the first taste and glimpse of true joy and freedom from suffering you get, but then it's gonna last forevermore. That's the promise that's been given to us. And chapter one, you can't see that. Chapter four, you sure can though, can't you? Because you know how the story is going to go. And so they needed a redeemer. We need a redeemer, church family, and we have him. And his name is Jesus, right? And he's so much more than some baby in a manger that we try to play him down to be during this holiday season. He is the king that reigns on high, that will split the skies, and will rule and reign forevermore over all of our lives, for eternity. We're gonna be singing the songs we sing today, forevermore. If you don't like the songs, get used to them, okay? Because that's what we're gonna do. That and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is above everyone. And so Jesus is that redeemer. Now the gospel application here is incredible. I got two minutes. Chapter one, the family in Ruth sought redemption. Okay, listen, but they could not bring redemption. Only the author of life could bring the redemption that they need. Jesus for the Christian, listen to me. Jesus for the Christian comes not to receive redemption, from you, but to bring redemption to you. Why? Because you can't save yourself. I can't save myself. My good works don't save me, especially in the midst of suffering. I'm not even thinking clearly when I'm suffering. But Jesus comes not to receive redemption, but to give redemption. Chapter two, the author sets it up where it just so happened that Ruth just so happened to enter into a field that just so happened to have this holy hottie in it by the name of Boaz. Well, it just so happened that God has always known that there would be a plan for redemption where he would redeem a people and redeem a land. That's the narrative of the gospel. 
but it just so happens that that redeemer saw us as foreigners, and through his redeeming work, he now calls us sons and daughters. It just so happened that this redeemer saw us enslaved, just as she was, Ruth was a slave, enslaved to sin and unrighteousness, and through his life, it calls us to be slaves to righteousness and goodness, even whenever we're not acting that way. He provides for us abundantly. God sent a redeemer who looked out across the field, saw your lowly state, saw that you were nothing, and he said, oh, but I'm gonna make you something. I'm gonna give you everything, a redeemer who took the slave in, oh, so we could be called sons. Let's go. Chapter three, Ruth risks everything to go to the threshing floor, and yet there is a better Ruth that exists, and his name is Jesus, and he's far more risky than Ruth could have ever been. Jesus literally risks everything. He comes to earth. He enters into the terrifying fields of death. He willingly goes to the threshing floor to be seen and found out. What was his reputation? A drunkard and a what? A glutton. They thought, oh, he has ate and drunk too much. He spent too much time at the threshing floor. And he really willingly receives that as a reputation because that was the company that he kept. May we not think too highly of ourselves, yes? Jesus willingly goes to the threshing floor to be outed, to be found out, to be brought into the center of the city to lose his reputation. Why? So that we might gain his reputation. He willingly loses his righteousness. Why? So that we might gain his righteousness. Come on, somebody. You now see the gospel all over this thing? I could just keep going all day. No, oh, here's another one. Jesus doesn't just cover you with a blanket. He literally covers you with his righteousness. What blanket does he receive? He receives the blanket of our sins and death, yeah? We could just go all day and all day doing this. If that were not enough, Jesus does fully and forever redeem us. Jesus is the better redeemer. And so in the story here, chapter four, Oboe goes before this guy and he's like, hey, here's the situation. That guy, as a redeemer, goes, the price is too great. Jesus is the only one, whenever the father looked at him and said, hey, here's the cost of redemption. You can have a people and you can have a land. And Jesus said, whatever you want. Whatever you want me to do. That's what I'm gonna do. Even in the garden on the way to the cross, whenever he's pleading with the Father, intense amount of suffering, blood coming out of his forehead while he's sweating drops of blood. God, Father, is there another way? If so, let this cup pass. And the Father looks at him and says, no, you're the price. And he says what? Not my will, but yours. What is he saying in that moment? Whatever you want me to do. Whatever you want me to do. He's calling right now. Just be like, hey, whatever you want me to do. Hey, I'll, I'll give you a dollar if you go, who do you belong to? <laughs> I don't know where the phone is. Sorry to call you. I don't even know who has the phone. Sorry if that's uncomfortable. <laughs> but seriously, would it be really funny? <laughs> who do you belong to? <laughs> Should I make that your ring doorbell? <laughs> All right, I'm done. We're done. We're done. All right. Big gospel crescendo met by comedy. Sorry. Here, let me really in before we hit communion. Yeah, I, I got to redo some stuff now. How would our church, how might our church look different, not just during the holidays, but in general? How might our church look different if we, respond, if we responded the same way Ruth responded to Boaz and Jesus responded to his father? If this holiday season and far beyond, we come to the father, reading his commands, seeing the prayers of the saints, seeing the work of the saints, and as we engage the word of God and engage one another, relationships, family, friends, how might your life look different if you genuinely had faith to go, whatever you want from me? How, how would our church perhaps look different than other churches if we weren't Christians that were so cowardice to hoard all of our resources, but with open hands, like we're trying to do this year end offering, but with open hands, we said, hey, whatever you want us to do, 
we're gonna do that for you because there's a day coming where we're gonna fully understand and experience our redemption in such a way that 18,000 years from now, a billion years from now, we're not gonna look back on this little nest egg we thought we had and think we managed it well. What would it look like? Why don't you stand with me for communion? I'm glad we can laugh together this holiday season. Thanks for listening to me. As you prepare your hearts and minds, As you prepare your hearts and minds for communion, let me just remind you of what communion is for. Uh, communion is given to us to help us reorient in the midst of suffering. And so there's, there's no promise that your suffering's gonna go away tomorrow. Uh, joy coming in the morning, is, that's an eternal joy. As a matter of fact, as a Christian in the room, the moment you profess faith in Jesus, you received joy as a fruit. It's an identity, it's a position, it's a status, it's who you are. You don't even have to pray for joy. You can just ask the Holy Spirit to teach you how to use what he already gave you. He's already done everything for you uh, in Christ that you could ever receive. And so communion is an opportunity to say, hey Lord, I do experience some suffering. And a lot of it is of my own doing. Steeped in sin, not praying for healing, get the same invitation every week. I've not looked at you and said, whatever you want. A communion is a reminder that Jesus most certainly looked at the Father and said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do, no matter the cost. There's a people and there's a place and I get to provide it. And we are that people in that place. And there's a better place that's even coming from here. And so communion is an opportunity for you as Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, Orpah, all of them had the opportunity to look out and see the coming Messiah and allow him to fall afresh on you and bring joy to you in the midst of suffering. Again, it might not be tomorrow morning, it might not be in 10 days, and it might not be in 10 years, but it will be in eternity. And so as you come forward, you'll see the bread, which represents Christ's body broken for you, and you see the cup, which represents Christ's blood spilt in your place as your substitute. And the call of communion, then, to experience joy is through confession and repentance. It's to confess and to repent the areas you've not said whatever you want. And then as you confess those areas, you get to give them over to the Lord again and again and again. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that he just invites you to sit with him again and then again and then again. And then he calls you then to look forward, not to be discouraged now that you can't shake sin. You're not perfect. But so you might actually look forward uh, to him. And so it says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's a calling to look out, to long for this Messiah, to advent him, to wait for him and to know that he will in fact restore your joy because he's already given it to you. We'll just give you better and greater reminders of what you already have. For those of you that are in Christ, this is a meal for you. Come forward here.